Hi, Simon. Um, the first question is, of course, how you started programming. What was your first machine? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I started programming. Well, the first machine I, I really used was an Amstrad. It's uh, a very tough laptop. Weighs around, I don't know, maybe a 10 kilos or so. <laughs> a laptop? Yeah, it's, it has a full IBM keyboard. Okay. Uh, but we had to plug in really batteries in uh, or a lot of them to get it powered up. And it has two floppy disk drives. So That's... one for the operating system and one for your data. I, I never knew about that. So what I had, I had that ZX Spectrum, which was bought by Amstrad. But never, this, this is an interesting story with the Amstrad. You know the name? Uh, no, I have it right next to me, but it's uh, packed in this bag. So um, I, I don't see the... Okay. Number, sorry. <laughs> and, and you but, know uh, what what happened with the company uh, company Amstrad? No, I don't. Uh, uh, this would uh, okay. And um, what is your first Hello World, or what was your first line of code? Um, I think it was uh, in Visual Basic or Visual Visual Basic script or VBA actually. So it's part of uh, writing a um, Microsoft Access application. Mm -hmm. was at, at Siemens as an internship at that time. It was right before my study. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, they, they asked me whether I could, could improve their, their system. They, they already built one. And then I, I said yes. And uh, I had two weeks until the start of my internship. And then I bought some books about that and learned it because I didn't know it before. I just said it with a very self-confident yes. And uh, it worked out quite well. It's a funny story. <laughs> uh, this is really interesting. So your first lines of, line of code was actually a commercial one for Siemens. Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. And, and you liked that? Or was it a painful experience? Or Well, it, it, it was spaghetti code, actually. So you had go-tos. Um, yeah, of course. But yeah. you liked the experience? So you enjoyed the coding? Well, I did enjoy um, the... I wouldn't have called it HR back then, but it actually was HR. So I was sitting at one desk and my customers basically were sitting two desks away. And so I, I programmed something. And then a few minutes later, I, well, a few few hours later, depending on, on what I did, I just showed them what I did. They, they uh, tested it, they used it and gave me feedback. And then I went back to my desk and, and that goes back and forth. So it's basically embracing change all along. Yeah, but why not, right? I mean, this is the only natural way to go. I mean, every, anything else is just, I don't know, overcomplicated and wrong, right? Yeah, exactly. And that, that, that was really interesting and fun. But language didn't work that much. Well, isn't that athletics um, suit, well suited? Because there's not many really modularization or abstractions you could you could use. Okay. Um, really tough. Like, it's really imperative. And no no object-oriented or functional style. Okay, so you never coded before. So this was your first line of code in internship at Siemens. Yeah, that's, yeah. And, but how you got there? I mean, you, you already knew that you were somehow interested in computers or, I mean, you know, because usually you are interested in language and you get a job. And in your case, you got a job and then you learned the language. So it's an interesting story. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was interested in computers, but I mostly played games. Okay. And, um, um, Which ones? <laughs> it was Warcraft 3, actually. So uh, a real-time strategy game. Uh -huh. and, and it was an uh, interesting story because I was invited to the games convention one time to play at the top 16 in Germany. 
Wow. And I don't know how I ended up there because um, I, I finished last at the tournament, okay. but I lost the first match I had. I lost uh, against the winner, so I always could say, yeah, <laughs> I, I won against the one who who won. Okay. Um, yeah, the the, uh, the the tournament at the time. When was it? Two thousand seven, two thousand five. Oh no, that's that's oh yeah. Oh, let's see, mm, two thousand four or something. Okay, cool. Very interesting. Really long time ago. Yeah. And then how you move on? So you started Visual Basic, um, and then? Actually, I started studying at university in Bamberg. Um, and from there, it's mostly Java. So we had our, well, not really. So the very first part at that university was Scheme. Wait a minute. So, so you, after internship at Siemens, you started to study at Bamberg, right? University. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and why? I mean, you know... Uh, you knew that you would like programming or what's the story behind? Still unusual. So you get, you know, internship, you <clears> learn coding, and then you study coding. So, I mean. Yeah, but I think it was uh, basically the uh, the idea. I, I wanted to do something with, with uh, businesses. So I, I really liked uh, um, um, the, the idea of making something, selling something, uh, everything that's around the, the business, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's why I... It studied information systems, so it's not like real computer science. Mm-hmm. Um, so a much more practical, applied way of it. Okay. And, um, it, that that I, I I wasn't sure whether I really will be a full time developer as I'm now. That that was not the clear road ahead. So okay. I said, okay, I wanted to do this, but. Um, yeah, well, I started out with the scheme and and then with with Java, Java at at university and then really uh, had a had a lot of subjects in 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 business administration as well. But over time, I realized it's I'm more a developer and and less juggling numbers around. Hey, cool. I do juggle numbers around, but you know, yeah, <laughs> different kind. Okay, so um. Okay, now I now I got you. So um, yeah, it's actually an interesting story, really unique story. And uh, so you started with Scheme at the University of Bamberg, right? So it was the first mm-hmm. language you like that? Yeah, it was. I think it's it's excellent for for learning for getting started. Okay, uh, uh, because it teaches you all the concepts, all the abstractions, and um, and about scoping. So so basically, uh, I, I I knew JavaScript since then. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> JavaScript is yeah. JavaScript is based on Scheme. You are absolutely right. So the ideas. It is the syntax from C or Java, but uh, yeah, the concepts are from Scheme. Yeah. And uh, how 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 long you did Scheme? So one year or half a year? So. I think it was just three months or so. Three months. Okay. And then immediately Java happened. Yeah, and then since then Java, mostly Java, a little bit of Ruby later on for an online shop. Okay. Um, we, we develop but a little bit of PHP. So another question. So you started with VBA, then Scheme, and then Java. So you like Java or you hated that? I really like Java, but I think it was mostly because of the, the excellent um, um, tool support, okay. I think, and the, the ability to, to improve it without having to think about it that much so so just rename the variable or rename that class or yeah that method and it just worked and yeah. this was refactoring so uh which ides uh, you used back then you know it was eclipse 
Eclipse. Okay, so you were lucky. So it was. Um, I started with uh, Java. There was no refactoring support, so I used JBuilder, and you couldn't rename. And the first IDE actually, which could do this really, was uh, later JBuilder and Eclipse. So Eclipse was open source, and then it really took off. And uh, with Eclipse, I, I killed back then many commercial IDEs because uh, they couldn't refactor that well that Eclipse did. So, mm-hmm. uh, so you are in, uh, yeah, you were already in good position, you know, having Eclipse mm-hmm. with refactoring support. Yeah, <laughs> that was really, really fun back then, uh, trying it all out, and 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 yeah, Eclipse was really, really, um, yeah, the, the best thing at the time, I think. Yeah. So you studied then Java, and you like Java because of tooling, and uh, so did you something special during studying, like working, you know, um, concurrently, or was just studying and enjoying, you know, the student life? In Bamberg with Sch- Sch- Schenkeller. <laughs> yes, yeah, the Schenkeller is uh, excellent, excellent beer. Yeah, um, um, yeah. I, I think um, I, since my third semester, I, I always did a um, student assistant job, teaching assistant mm-hmm. um, in the Java courses, and and later on at uh, algorithms or software engineering, but always with a with a Java focus. So so I did a lot of a lot of student assisted jobs. I think I counted it once for an application later on, and I think it was like ten or twelve courses I I taught. Mm-hmm. So so it's really really um, I really lived for for helping others. And it was really really um, a nice way uh, to earn a little bit of money on the side, so you could buy more Schlenkeler. Yeah, but but also I really like teaching and helping others get better at the at programming. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and what I what I do from time to time, I also deliver workshops or sessions. And uh, why I'm doing this, you also learn for yourself or for myself. Because, uh, yeah, you are forced to rethink, you know, paradigms or patterns because you are forced to explain them. You cannot just, you know, take them as given. You have to think about why they are actually important. So you will have to explain it to your student and this is what uh, this is a great learning experience, at, at least in my case. Was it also in your case? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I learned much more about this topic uh, during teaching. So it's uh, it's a little bit selfish, you could say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is selfish. So uh, being a trainer or uh, is, is absolutely selfish. Yeah, uh, but uh, the funny thing is, everyone considers this as a bit something, you know, uh, how is it, how how to call it. Um, not selfish is the opposite of selfish, and uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, you started, and then you uh, you did some commercial work behind your beside your study, or just studied and teach other students. A little bit. I, I continued a little bit at Siemens, but not not that much. Um, okay. I wasn't I wasn't interested in it anymore, so I just did a little bit, a little bit for the money for okay. the money. And is Siemens in in Bamberg? No, it's uh, in in Nuremberg. In Nuremberg, okay. Nuremberg. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think um, I did a little bit of work in um, how to say non-profit. It's an organization that um, that created a, a large portal. So it's basically the website every student in Bamberg visits daily, mm-hmm. and we we relaunched that using a large PHP open source framework. And oh, and was it the studies or how it's called the German Facebook? Oh, it's called study no, no, no. study yeah. or you know what I mean. There was like a German social. Yeah, Studi Yeah, is it still alive? 
Uh, I think that's dead now, but I'm not sure. But it's not that. No, that no, I know this was just fun. It was not. It was not. You know, uh, it was not open source, <laughs> and it was uh, highly commercial. I think. Yeah, yeah, but we, we made something a little similar, but not that that similar similar in in Bamberg. But it was mm-hmm. an interesting project, and um, and you did with PHP. Yeah, Joomla. If you if you know yeah. the, the and and you enjoyed the experience. So you had a a, a lot. No. Ex- no, okay. Um, I, I didn't enjoy it working with like ten people and and launching that and and making the launch um, like smoother and the the migration mm-hmm. data migration because we had a uh, a system that no one understood anymore in Java. Funnily, <laughs> okay. and no one no one understood it anymore. No one wanted to invest anything, and we we thought like okay, we, we use something that's not just built for us, but built for a lot of people like standard software and customize it and how to do that transition and with with 10 people how to organize it how to keep them motivated because it's non-profit so nobody gets money so it's just for fun mm-hmm. and um, if you want to do excellent work for fun it's it's not that easy i think every open source project knows that mm-hmm. uh, especially if you have deadlines and you don't want to ship it as, as quickly as possible and so on and so on so it was really an interesting experience yeah, so uh, you you started with Java, then went to Joomla, or you just started with Joomla? No, no, no. Uh, Joomla was just on the side, I would say. Mm-hmm. I and just did enough to to get the job done, but it, I didn't really had the heart for it. Okay, but it was PHP, right? Yeah, yeah. And what is your opinion about PHP? Um, I, it's like a love hate relationship, I would say. Mm-hmm. Why I'm asking is because uh, the um, on my workshop sometimes I get uh, people from the PHP side of things, mm-hmm. and I've showed them. You know, I usually do Java E and Java. They are absolutely delighted. So for them, it's like, wow, this is this is great. And and I'm really confused because uh, what I read in blogs and articles like PHP is the lightweight thing and Java is heavyweight. And then now PHP people coming to the AirHacks workshops and are absolutely delighted about the Java E productivity. So this was the question to you. So what's your opinion? Mm. Yeah, it, it was a long time ago. So change, things have probably changed a lot. I, I don't have a close eye on the PHP community and PHP technologies. But um, back then, Java had the much better tooling everywhere, like for testing, for, for building, for deployment, for IDEs. And, and PHP was, well, the, the lightweight approach, the quicker you could just hack a few lines in and, and you get your job done. You don't have to, to compile. It's just, it just worked. And, and a lot of people, um, especially in the team I, I work for, it's more approachable to beginners. Okay. Yeah. That's basically why we why we choose it. Yeah. Okay. So um and after PHP you said you did some JRuby or Ruby? Uh yeah, it was uh um the the uh, the nonprofit also um has an online shop for selling university stuff, so t shirts and, and 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 things with the logo of the university on. Cool. And, and for that we, we built um a Ruby on Rails online shop. Yeah. Was and it two thousand seven? No, it was 2011 or something. Okay, because 2006 and 2007, everything had to be Ruby, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it was a little bit late on okay. that. Yeah, but it was interesting because we, we added a, um, a transaction-based uh, stock-keeping system 
Uh, uh, so it was really interesting from from, from that, that perspective as well. So, and you enjoyed that? Yeah, uh, Rui, Rui was really a great experience uh, and rails. So really felt really productive. Uh, I missed my tooling sometimes, mm -hmm. um, but with a with a strong test coverage or or high test coverage. Um, you, you quickly found these these errors and could could refactor. But sometimes you said, okay, let's don't refactor this because you know I don't know what what will happen. Yeah, but it had a little bit of an effect on me. And real, I realized that the strength of Java tooling. So it became much more clear to me what what I because when you miss something, it's it's more clear to you what what you what you had. Mm -hmm. and this is what I never got because in 2006 Java was said to be dead because we got Rails. And the mm -hmm. uh, the arguments were always like uh, in Rails you have uh, great support for unit tests, you do, so you don't need tooling. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, it was like I use tools all the time because I very easily could you know rearrange the whole application in seconds, which yes. has also big impact on the usage of patterns because you know you can always introduce, for instance, an interface afterwards. You just you know pick a method, say create an interface, and uh, and it was done for me without any thinking. Without that tooling, I wouldn't do this. So I will have to to, to uh, create, I would say, more traditional designs because it would be harder to refactor them. So I think tooling has a great impact on design. With a tooling, you can be very pragmatic. Without tooling, you will have to be more conservative because refactoring is more painful, right? Yeah, yeah. the fear of change actually is, is, is highly correlated. In the, if, if, you, if you fear that something will break, you, you won't do it. Yeah, and the higher the fear, you, the, the less the chance you you'll do it. And yeah, absolutely. The conference, you know, because but if a tool is bad and every refactoring breaks, it doesn't help at all. Yeah. So yes, because some some tools nowadays also support it, but in the end, um, not it's it's just a eighty percent solution, mm -hmm. even in, in in these languages. Yeah. So um, after JRuby, was any other project at the university, or then was over for you? No, I think it, it, the, the main part at in university was was mostly over, and I switched to um, becoming a, I would say, wissenschaftliche Mitarbeiter, which is like a teaching or the a research assistant, switching okay. advice from from study to to pursuing a PhD. So, wissenschaftlicher Mitarbeiter is like a scientific coworker, right, or assistant, <laughs> a scientific yeah. assistant. It's it's really hard to translate. Yeah, but it's a, but it sounds great in English. <laughs> it's, it's basically um, a paid PhD student. Oh, cool. So, so you stick at the university and you uh, implement something uh, on the university or did some research? I, I, I found briefly on your resume, I don't know whether I should mention that, you did something with uh, ESBs or EBXML or something like this, right? Uh, yeah, it was my diploma thesis, but it was... Um, about choreography so if it basically if two or more parties want to collaborate mm -hmm. how do you model that and that's and how to how to do that and how, how to monitor this this distributed transaction between a lot of different parties that all have their different interests in mind and, yeah you know, still still up-to-date topic i would say with the microservices i think i think yeah it's, it's it comes um This distributed systems, it was the, the, the chair I, I joined um, uh, um, for my PhD. I think all of the topics of distributed systems are nowadays very relevant, still very relevant, mm -hmm. and uh, even, maybe even more relevant than, than before. Mm -hmm. Cool. So um, 
uh, did your scientific coworker job, and uh, so you implemented something, lots of proof of concept, or it was just you know paperwork. So what you did then, and how long? Uh, there was I was at the chair for six years, and and basically we we um, collaborated on on a single project, uh, which we uh, called the the people or BPMN tests uh, execution system, I think. Uh, short name Betsy, and um, it's the system to benchmark uh, the workflow of people or BPMN engines against standard conformance and, and other other features. Cool. Is it usable outside the university? Um, we, we published the results and uh, on a website. Yeah, sure. Would you use it outside the, oh, the oh, university? Sorry. Ah, okay. <laughs> um, the, the tool itself or the, the, the people or BPMN engines? Okay. No, I mean the engine. So would you use the engine outside the university to check something? Or was it just, you know, you would say, no, it was just scientific work? Or is it a pragmatic tool which is highly usable or re we could recommend to our listeners? No, I would use the results. Okay, uh, the I results. Use okay. it in, in this industry, yeah. So okay. Was, yeah. The results are, I think, interesting because it shows that, that portability is an issue. Okay. And the promise that, that if you do this with the, with these process languages, that you get portability, that's just not not happening. Okay, now you are expert, so uh, switch the topics for a second. So um, yeah, about BPMN and all this stuff. So um, so this all this works and um, and and it's okay. But uh, my feeling is the following from from the industry. So um, rule engines, ESBs, orchestration engines, and all how to call it workflow engines. They are mostly introduced with the hope that someone without any coding experience is would be able to model the flows without coding in a some kind of visual or declarative way, and um, and then what happens is it turns out that in order to have you know orchestration you need at least some if else for loops or uh, mm -hmm. uh, preconditioned postconditioned thinking. And it actually does not matter matter whether you are a visual coder or uh, or ASCII coder. You have to be a, a coder to appreciate that, and then everything you know um, just gets the idea gets destroyed because uh, the developers will have still to talk to the business people, and and they now they have to translate you know the business requirements from pdfs into an engine which they don't like and don't appreciate so this is the sad story of 80 percent project i was with you know orchestration engines you see the problems here is so something similar or you know what i'm talking about yeah i think that's where, where the fall short so it doesn't work for um like the the, the non-developer to to develop something that's running later on i think that's it's something that that has never worked and it's just a promise yeah, those, those products and those systems couldn't 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 live up to. Um, I think I think we're, we're we have another aspect. We we nowadays want to have small teams, um, everything vertically sliced. So so and these teams operate everything on their own. So these large um, systems, these large workflow management systems or business process management systems, are also not that interesting anymore because a, a small team of i don't know five to ten people don't want to um doesn't want to to maintain such a software and, and run it exactly. and you don't want to have this central system anymore so the central approach basically is is um is you... no longer there but we still have this this need 
for have for having this central look at the process itself. So it's basically what every every everybody wants. So you have this process, and you see where the customer is in his journey towards I don't know buying his bicycle and or whatever the, the process is about and and you want to see the hotspots and so on so the visual part i think that's that, that hasn't changed we still want that and the thing that today's challenge is how do we get the centralized view when we have a lot of distributed and decentralized components and teams they're all independent doing the devops style work and and how to to get it together again in yes. the end but usually what we did, uh, we just replaced the engine with a uh, view pojos running in a standalone microservice, you know, with different mm -hmm. different responsibilities just. Mm -hmm. This would worked well. Yeah, that's it's 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 fine in most cases, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, perfect. Yeah. I just wanted to have your opinion because you know, mm -hmm. you you studied this for several years. I have just experience from the field. So I wanted to hear this. Okay. Now you you're done with Betsy after six years? And then what happened? Oh, that, that, that the craziest year in my life happened. <laughs> it oh. was 2017, and um, I, I had to write up my thesis. So, like, first, I don't know, four or five months, I, I, I just wrote up my thesis, and in that meantime, um, I was about to start a, or found a startup mm -hmm. um, together with Bosch. Mm -hmm. Or Bosch as the first customer, I would say, mm -hmm. and we we've written a, a few, part of the software already, and now we we continued writing it, and um, I I signed a book contract about um, yeah a Java book mm -hmm. at the beginning of the year, so so I had to deliver that, mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah, at some point in time, my wife said, "Hey, I'm pregnant," and that was my year 2017. Okay. <laughs> so okay, and uh, what's happened with Bosch? Um, we we did we did ship the the prototype or the the first the, I would say the MVP. Mm -hmm. yeah, it was an interesting experience, but um, uh, the, it didn't it didn't work out because in the end, uh, it, it's it's really hard to convince people to join or to 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 join a startup. Actually, okay. In Germany, because the the positions everybody already has, they earn you a lot of money, mm -hmm. and um, it, it's quite comfortable. Everybody's very comfortable in their positions, and and you don't. It's very really very hard to convince them to say, okay, quit your job and and try to start up. Yeah, what uh, I actually uh, coached uh, several st startups, but they were like startups like you. Which you know started with one person, then two and yeah. three. They were ultra productive, and this is how it worked really well. You know, mm -hmm. so uh, it was never like you know you start startup and just you search for capital money and do something. They always had ideas. It was very similar to your story. But mm -hmm. uh, what was it with Bosch? So, uh, w what kind of software was it? Uh, software to help in the negotiation phase. So, so they had to negotiate. Um, uh, uh, deals for for buying stuff. So Bosch buys something and then produces something better out of it. And um, the the market changes. So you you decide on a price basically, and and from point A to point B in time, mm -hmm. the world changes. Everything changes. Okay. Exchange rates change. 
prices change for materials. And these all have influences on, on yeah, I'm negotiating the price in the next point in time. Mm-hmm. So basically we, we correlated their info with the world and showed what, and it gave advice, basically. That was the first step. Okay, cool. And now you're just working as a full-time professor or what are you doing right now? No, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm working at InnoQ. It's oh. a, a mm-hmm. consultant company. When you started? In April last year. So okay. for almost one year now. Cool. This is for Stefan Tilkov, right? Company? Yeah. Hey, yeah. cool. Uh-huh. And uh, what are you doing there? Um, I, I'm, I'm working uh, at a customer for, since August. And um, we are we are helping them by building, yeah, in the e-commerce domain, building uh, order management system or helping them in that cool. that part. And and, and you and you quit with the university. I'm sorry. And uh, do you not working anymore for the university? Oh, maybe I think ne- next semester I'll, I'll be holding a Kubernetes seminar there. So so nice. master seminar students will will have the. Opportunity to write um, seminar thesis on, on Kubernetes. Very nice. And uh, the last question regarding university is: uh, Where is it? I know Bamberg a little bit. I know you know the old city. I know the Altenburg is like the castle. Where is the university? Uh, the university is uh, located very in, at a very nice point. It's um, uh, so the, the the whole university is everywhere in the city, but okay. the um, uh, computer science department or business information. Department is is uh, at the Landesgartenschaugelände. It's the the area where they had a, a very nice park. And okay, it's it's the. This the is where the sea is. There's some seas. Is this this in this area? It's it's the Erba. Um, okay, the, I would have to look it up. So yeah. if uh-huh. listeners are interested, then you can visit your university. Okay. Usually, I ask my guests, you know, the questions to uh, because I'm really interested how they started, what the machines was. In your case. I was really curious about your background. It seems like after your book, you started consulting. And uh, I actually read the whole book, Java by Comparison. I started, uh, so the last five pages were today, actually, morning. So I uh, mm-hmm. so I was really happy that uh, we did the interview that late. And I have to say, it is a great book, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't admit it that this is for beginners because it is actually more for the experienced programmers. Uh, my feeling is that the beginners write simple code because they don't know better, and uh, and high-end consultants write complicated code to show off. So I think uh, actually, your book would be uh, more appropriate, you know, for uh, more seasoned programmers to rethink what they are actually doing in projects because I'm deleting code constantly, and uh, there is a lot of code without any reason. I'm uh, all the seventy rules. I'm or sixty eight rules. I'm happy with two rules we have talked about in your book and how your book is scheduled, um, uh, is organized. Is is like you have uh, lots of examples which I really appreciate. So I I like book you know with uh, with not too much text and and more code. And your book is perfect for that. And um, so you always have one example of Java, which is uh, suboptimal, but is working, and another example of piece of code which is uh, optimized or more readable, not optimized from the performance perspective, rather than optimized from the 
from the maintainability perspective. This is why I ask you so many questions because mm-hmm. my my uh, I, I thought you you have lots of field experience and I say oh I really hate what I see in real world. Now let's let's write a book about that. But your experience is quite the opposite, which is really interesting. So how you got the ideas. And I also learned a lot from your book. For instance, in your unit tests, your all methods are not public. So if I write unit tests, I always write public without any thinking, like cargo cult. You always did it this way, so I keep it doing, but it's actually not even necessary to have a you know, public void. You, void is just enough. And uh, so the, um, I really enjoyed uh, the book. And uh, two things. Um, one rule what you had was with no exceptions in streams. And... Um, I I I thought a lot about that because what you did then I forgot the use case with the Mars ship but um, on exceptions you returned an empty, empty stream this is what you basically did something like uh, stream empty or collections empty or something mm-hmm. yeah. and this works well uh, only in case the empty is not a valid result right because if let's say we would use uh, what I sometimes do um, streams to coordinate microservices, then what can happen is that actually uh, I get an error from a microservice and then I will convert the error to an empty element, which could be a valid response because no answer is a valid answer, for instance, and then I would be in trouble. You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand the point. So it's... it's uh, the, the, the idea of the, of, the, of the comparison is basically to say in the functional world, there are no exceptions. In the functional world, you have an input and an output and something in between the function. Yeah. So and, and when you're entering the stream, you are entering the functional world. And yeah. the exceptions somehow let you, or side effects, both allow you to, to not be pure functional. And so we want to make sure you, you think about that. So basically what you would do is um, um, you create an, an object or an instance of something that represents an error and that's your output. Yes. So and we would need to have to change, you know, the result of a method that represents the valid state and the error state. This would work. Yeah. So basically it's an, in other functional languages, it would be an either. So it's either okay and that okay has some mm-hmm. variables basically. Mm-hmm. Properties and it may or either it's not okay, so it's it's failed somehow, and mm-hmm. that and that has also properties, and so that that would have been introduced. Yeah, um, in Java we could do something like order result, and this order result object would contain you know the valid, for instance, order, or if not, you know the error why it is uh, um, invalid, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. then I'm happy with it. The next one, which causes a lot of trouble in my projects, actually I'm in code review mode right now and I'm just, you know, writing uh, slides and deleting code. And uh, one was like favor abstract types over concrete types or something, a rule, mm-hmm. which is um, on the collections I'm with you. So you, you had something like don't do array list equals new array list. Also, I have to say it is really because we have the tooling, it is not like, you know, the end of the world if I would do this because I can still still very easily replace the array list on the left side with a list. So this is not a huge problem. But uh, I still write, as you said, your code because I always do list equals new array list because it's shorter and there is actually no reason to have the ugly array list on the left side. So it's more like aesthetics or uh, less code. 
but um, it's a problem. It's what um, I spend lots of my time in Java e projects, and mm-hmm. uh, and right now there is uh, a code review, and in the code review, what uh, what they did is sometimes they have an interface. Uh, always and on the right side they have um, uh, uh, implementation of the interface and uh, there's only one always one never changes and the name ends with impl because there is actually no reason to have the interface mm-hmm. and um, if you for instance have something like java you can inject a class but you can always replace the class afterwards because the framework is capable of that so um, what I, what i would say uh, we already get the abstractions built in into the platform, so there is no need to have an interface for everything, you know. So um, what 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 happens in lots of the patterns, like um, mm-hmm. all the hexagonal architectures and domain-driven design, they assumed there is no platform. So if you just use the language, so you will have to write the patterns. But because we have, for instance, Java, so uh, then lots of stuff is built in, is already abstracted for us, so it's already hidden. So there is there is actually no reason to create another abstraction of on top of or on already existing abstraction because it will end up to be empty. You know what I mean? Yeah, I see. Yeah. Yeah, and this was the just two remarks. Everything else I'm perfectly and actually was was really good good experience and um, I was forced to read the book. I actually mm-hmm. all my other books they were uh, suspended and in all my flights I just you know because if the on takeoff and uh, and how is it called? No touchdown, rather <laughs> no touchdown. Um, uh, but on the um, on arrival, uh, you are usually not allowed to use laptops. So I read uh, the book on my uh, my uh, smartphone and really enjoyed that. And uh, as I said, I don't think it is for junior junior uh, developers because uh, your advices are. Uh, uh, by the way, I, I actually try to write exactly your your style. Without you know having names for that, and for instance, also an, a nice thing uh, in the unit test, you said uh, don't use, don't create the objects in before. Uh, use a static method which constructs the objects because it's easier, but because it's more understandable, right? This is yeah, it's even more isolated. Yeah, and, and and I don't care about the isolation and about uh, about you know uh, readability, but I did it because if you do this you can reuse the created object in another unit test. So I use exactly your code for different reasons. So uh, mm-hmm. then if the, if the method is static, what I do, did, for instance, if you need an order test an already existing on a customer, you can do in the order uh, integration test, you can do something like customer uh, integration test dot create customer, and you can reuse the customer creation for the order. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and th- I was forced to do that, but I was always had you know a bad feeling. So okay, this is necessary, but no one does that. This is really the right way. And now we have a book uh, written by you. You can say, hey, this is absolutely valid because it's a great book. This is a very popular one, right? Is it? Uh, it sells well. It's it sells okay. okay. Um, it's not. Uh, we, the thing is, <laughs> we had this coincidence that if a Java, the effective Java third edition came out, mm-hmm. and they they are always before us in the rankings. Ah, so, but so this different book. I mean, this effective Java is okay, but this a little bit, I would say, exaggerated. And and your book is very pragmatic. This is what I wanted to do. Where I are coming from? Because it is remarkable that someone with your background can write such a book. This is why I ask you so many questions. What you did before? Because- Regarding the background, I have to clarify. So it's um, so we did we the, the whole thing of the book was I, I did teaching 
for six years during my PhD. So we, we basically uh, taught students six years Java. And, um, and, and during the time, we, we reviewed all their code six, for six years. And they always had to hand in like, like small homework projects. And, and basically everything in the book came from the experience of reviewing the, the code from, from, I don't know, probably thousands of students. And um, during that time, so, so we had really good data, basically, for um, for seeing which which things do people make do wrong when when they start start learning Java. Yeah, but it seems like the your University of Bamberg is really remarkable because um, when I get uh, you know students fresh out of college, they write completely different code. So they try to apply all the Gengo four and J two E patterns they know. And it's just like, you know, they uh, save an objects with 20 levels of abstractions and DTOs and mappers and whatever, just because they, they learned at the university and that way. So, and, and your code is the opposite. So this is why this is so remarkable. So it's unusual for the university to mm -hmm. write pragmatic code. This is, uh, yeah. I think that's the, the, the fun part was um, in, back in 2011, um, I, together with my colleague, we had the chance to create two new Java courses and, and we did it. We created these courses the way we would like them to have had when we were stu students ourselves. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why we came up with the format that, that taught a lot using code review taught a lot of good design. And, um, and, and that's, we got really good feedback. And uh, in the end, we, we won the, the award for our best teaching at the faculty. So, that really you made an made a, an impact. I think it was a really great experience. Yeah, yeah, but uh, still, I uh, still uh, I can tell you what happened to me. So I try to remove in my projects whatever is not necessary, and I always have trouble with it. And uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. Five years ago, there was one uh, developer who really didn't want to write simple code, and he constantly found you know research papers from universities why I'm wrong. Like, for instance, you know, uh, there was always a research paper why you should abstract everything and why you should map everything. And he constantly wrote, uh, sent me slides, you are absolutely wrong, you know, this is what okay. the university are teaching and, and you are absolutely stupid. And, and my answer was always, I don't care about university. If the software is simple, the code is readable and is quick, uh, qu uh, very easy to understand by other developers, we, we will win regardless, you know, what the university is, is telling. And your book is up exactly about that. Write simple code uh, that can be easy to understand by other people. Just use the language constructs which they, if they are available and try to reduce, you know, fancy frameworks even. So you, you, you point to external libraries, but only if they are needed. And this is not usual, but I like it. Yeah, yeah. that was interesting, especially about the libraries. And in my current projects, um, uh, a team member is very strict about um, not adding any libraries or if we do we really have to have a good case about it yeah, very good this is even you know this is my theory uh, that's really I, I really learned that in industry now and I really like it so it's basically um, it, you have it's you have to um, create a very high burden to add a library yes because if it's there it will stick forever <laughs> exactly. And if you add the library, what I say is, okay, if you have a library and the project is serious, what you should do is 
you should be able to build the library from source code because if you know in GitHub the developers uh, don't like you know to maintain the library anymore, this is your insurance and um, and make it buildable on Jenkins. So for me, you know, every external library is additional costs, even if it comes for free. Yeah, it's 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 interesting when you when you think about. Um, Using a framework, I don't know whether you use Java EE or whether you use Spring. You get a lot of libraries from from those frameworks, so it's basically also a cost there. But um, yeah, but this is interesting. For granted, so if they add a new library, we just say okay. But if you want to add a library for yourself, we say we have a lot of of, of um, high standards to to let them enter our code, and that's that's something I, I I will have to think about and how to how to. Differentiate. <laughs> the, the differentiation is, in in my eyes, fairly easy. So, um, in, for instance, Java E world, most of my clients have contracts with Red Hat, IBM, Payara, uh, or Tommy, Tommy Tribe, and mm-hmm. they receive uh, a patched versions of the server. And if something breaks, we get usually very fast uh, a a patched version of the server. So we don't care about the service at all in Java. They live somewhere, and I don't care. It's almost like serverless. So they are somewhere, but who cares about them? Mm-hmm. And and you just focus on on the business logic. And uh, because it's so separated, you never see the libraries from the servers. If they, if they add a new library, I absolutely don't care. For instance, for the micro profile metrics, it's like you know some business metrics. Uh, some of the servers use Hystrix and others don't, but I never see Hystrix and I don't care about Hystrix. I just, you know, mm-hmm. I would like to have my uh, my metrics. So, and in mm-hmm. this scenario, if the war is empty, adding any additional library becomes immediately visible because you have empty POM and you will get, you know, new dependencies and you see them. And now the question is, why is the dependency here? It's exactly like your book, why the code is here. Uh, mm-hmm. What happens if you remove the the library? How much... Uh, uh, code will you save adding the library and how much code will I have to write by removing the library and by doing this experiments what I found out most of libraries are absolutely useless so they are used you know to have a pretty uh, two string methods which never get called or uh, equals on hash code for entities which never get called and stuff which no one needs but is for cargo cult reasons uh, written over and over again yeah the customer we had this discussion about um whether you use shared libraries between teams or whether a team should write their own code and maintain their own code mm-hmm. so to be faster. So it's a, it's a little bit of a different angle on, on dependencies, but I think it's a very interesting one. So when, when does a shared library make sense so that <clears throat> one team maintains but, but shares it to, I don't know, 10 other teams and one where every team must do basically the same and write their own code? Mm-hmm. That's also an interesting aspect. Um, but yeah, but it's also um, simpler to resolve. What I'm talking about is like you know, nice to have libraries, like for instance, Guava, Commons, and all the stuff, mm-hmm. or, or even Lombok. And um, and the other libraries is more like domain specific libraries in this completely mm-hmm. different discussion. I would mm-hmm. see like uh, the domain specific uh, libraries. Sometimes you do, you cannot even replicate them. It's uh, let's say one team created let's let's say a payment service abstraction. It would be completely wrong to re-implement the connector over and over again. You will have to reuse that, right? Or let's say signing or encryption combination of um, encryption algorithm. Mm-hmm. It, it would be completely wrong by all the teams re-implemented over and over again. But what we do it in my projects, uh, microservices, 
we put these libraries uh, as a part of the platform. So we say, okay, the Java E is, can, I mean, is just infrastructure. But now mm-hmm. we put, we extend the infrastructure with business infrastructure by adding, you know, the uh, business libraries to the Docker layer, which comes as an infrastructure. And the war is still empty, and all the teams get, you know, this image for free. But if the image changes on the next build, it will change for everyone. So it's like part of the platform. And that's an interesting point. You know, making it, shifting it, or pushing it to the platform. Yes. Yeah, that's an interesting take. Yeah, Th- thanks. <laughs> I will, I will take it home with me. No, <laughs> it's really interesting that we know yeah. we immediately, immediately understand us. We never met before, actually, right? No, no, never. This is uh, this interesting. So it's like you know, shared, shared mindset. And uh, I, I, I come from completely different background. Just you know, spend a lot of time in projects. And uh, the result is very similar. So I think um, so I do some monthly uh, question and answer show and uh, I get lots of questions regarding, you know, shared code and whatever. So mm-hmm. it's like 60 episodes already, I think, or 63 so for five years. And if the uh, watchers or listeners from their show would read your book, they, they, they would think, you know, it's like a cooperation between us because they, you, 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 you found, you know, a nice names for the concepts I I I no no teach which I which I do and and I get lots of trouble with that like you know removing everything and just focus on the on lean code or with lean code what what's interesting if you someone read your book right and 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 say um the question is what is the alternative the alternative is, is writing you know complex code who no one understands right this is always an interesting teaching uh, uh, experience or, or or thought experiment um what is the opposite of your book mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, the, the, the opposite is basically not not applying it or um, making code that works for the machine, but not it's not suitable for, for the human. So yeah, we, probably. We, maybe you could say human-centered programming. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> human-centric code. Human-centric code. This is probably, you know, the H in Linux, so like LS minus H, like human-readable. Yeah. And for me, it is the most important thing. And... And I think the difference is we try to optimize for humans and lots of projects try to optimize for machines because they assume that if they perform some micro-optimization in Java, there will be a huge payoff. What usually happens, the Java hotspot is smarter than we and nothing happens, but no one will understand what you did. Yeah, but I think most most of the, I would say, bad code comes doesn't isn't intentionally written that way so it's it's more it happens because we think we solve it we add new abstractions and and um and making it more generalizable what what you know so I, I, more yeah. general. and and we always lose something when we add an abstraction when, when we make it more general yeah and and that's that's what i see in industry nowadays so so we always have to struggle and, and try to be more specific, try to be more example oriented. And um, that, that's, that's where, where everything becomes graspable for, for the human brain. What's interesting, I just found a blog post by myself from 2009. And uh, the, the title is Abstract If Impulse Default Bin Convention Just for Lazy Developers. And I say I prohibited back then you should never use abstract uh, and just naming convention like abstracts, impl, and so forth. And the mm. comments are interesting. But uh, you you wrote the same in your book, which is uh, like uh, don't use meaningless names. And you provided examples like abstract manager and stuff like that, right? 
Yeah, it's a sign. It's, it's a very strong signal yeah. to say well, that something is not not right here. Yeah, and this is in eighty percent of all projects is never right. But what I see, big consulting companies have their own templates, and they'll do something like, you know, uh, there is a business concept. Let's say, let's say invoice. So they get invoice entity, invoice uh, DTO, invoice mapper, invoice service, invoice resource, and everything. Uh, and then, not because uh, they, they, the architect assumes, you know, developers shouldn't think. So then everything is organized like all exceptions are in exceptions package or enums in enums package. Then we have a common package for classes who which could be shared. So it's like bureaucratic design. So it's the absolute opposite of, you know, what, what we learn at the university or you teach in your book. And um, what surprised me, even the, you even wrote about the convention, uh, you know, don't use abstract, which is, I mean, unique. So you know, this, this best practice is, is, is hard to find and, and uh, I'm absolutely with you. So I'm really happy about, you know, your, uh, your book about that because, um, yeah, there is uh, another person who, who who writes about that. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and yeah, and uh, what you said did they uh, the developers don't do it by um, how to say intentionally, but um, in Java, I think what happens often developers assume their code is go is going is is highly appreciated by other developers, so they overestimate the reuse, and mm. they try to build, you know, modules with interfaces and APIs in the hope that someone will reuse that, which never happens. And this leads to a lot of complexity. So this is like, how to call it, unlikely reuse. So this should be a pattern in your book, you know. Don't write for reuse because likely it will never happen. And reuse comes with a cost. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know, you have also some, you know, um, ex develop, developer experience. If you will review your uh, your old code, how how often you know an interface was reused? Uh, I, I guess um, mostly by you, but not not by by the others nine developers usually. Except you know you force them to do this, and you could do this in research projects in in in, in the industry. It usually don't doesn't work because developers are not even in one team from different consulting companies usually in outsourcing, and. Uh, we are developers, right? How how often we scan Maven repository to find something reusable before we write a single line of our code? So it is, I mean, it is unlikely, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's right. But from from my experience, I, I I am very reluctant to reuse code nowadays. Not not I try to use a lot of the Java API or the 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 APIs that, that the platform provides. Let's let's define it like that. Yeah, but um, I, I try to prevent reuse um, because I've seen so so many bad cases where reuse was a motivator to um, create bad abstractions, really I'm... bad, really bad abstractions. And um, and when they are introduced, it's really expensive to to cut them out again. And um, I think there were always premature optimizations with the wrong argument. And it's they always argued with "do not repeat yourself," and, and I think "do not repeat yourself" is it's really tough to master, really tough to understand fully. You I know? think the, the the pattern should be uh, should be uh, renamed to "do repeat yourself, then refactor." So um, I think it is better, you know, to have three copies of your code but know where they are, and work with them until you get you know 
more knowledge what you're actually doing in the project and then it will probably find better abstractions after a few iterations and then refactor the code. My experience is you will never hit the right abstraction at the first iteration. Yeah, sure. That, I, I concur, yeah. Perfect. Uh, regarding Javadoc, this was also a pleasure to read of, you know, because I use uh, uh, see a uh, lots of stupid Javadocs you won't believe. Like, <laughs> my favorite is like, this is a default constructor. Like, yeah, I yeah. see this, like, you are absolutely stupid. I mean, what you would like, I mean, what's that right it, it has to be a default constructor because there's no parameters and you i mean right and um and uh a workshop developer wrote me a mail and has a great advice is also my blog from what year was it 2013 so i think even before still before your book so this is really interesting <laughs> it's like um and and there were three he wrote something like the what is in the name the how in the code and the why in the comment mm-hmm. and this is great so if you think about this, what in the name? So the name of the method or class should be readable. How in the code? So how how it happens and why it happens and and uh, is in the comments. So why I did it with uh, some usage examples, and um, and yeah, it's, and and you've wrote something similar and you even provided a template which are also useful templates, Javadoc templates and unit test templates. Mm-hmm. I think, but I think uh, the the constructor a special case because a constructor doesn't have a name. It's it's different to a method. A constructor has only it's a constructor. That's basically there's there's no information about that. Like, we can't name it. I think that's that's a shortcoming in the language because we can't differentiate between um, how to construct an object. We can't yeah. name it. For that, we would have to introduce methods somehow. Yeah, but you know, just write in the Java doc of a constructor. This is a parameterless constructor is useless. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. this is what so I usually see. Or in getter, this is a getter get name returns this name as string, and they are doing this because they get you know, Sonar Cube, Java doc co- coverage higher than whatever, and the same is true for unit tests. So uh, you should, if you write the next iteration of your book, please add, add, add a rule like don't write, you know, pointless unit tests. Um, my favorite is uh, unit tests for constructors. And recently I saw unit tests for exceptions, which just uh, created the exceptions in, and this basically was. And unit tests, this is my absolute favorite for enums. Whether an enum enumerates properly. And you know why I'm doing this? To increase the code coverage. Oh, I see. Yeah. So, and uh, and this is, you know, you need just, you know, five more rules to have a perfect book. But right <laughs> now, it was really, really a pleasure. Okay. So, great. Simon, thank you. Where people can find you, how they should buy your book. So, the question is, you know, how you get the most out of your book. So, should they buy it by you, directed by you, Prague programmers, Amazon? So, what is the preferred way to buy your book? Uh, the, the preferred way is directly at Pragmatic, so mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. um, especially for the ebook, because mm-hmm. that's DRM free and you get all the versions and you can PDF, EPUB, Mobi, so for every reader. Mm-hmm. So that's basically the, the best way. Um, uh, from Germany, the cheapest way is Amazon, mm-hmm. because uh, if you would buy it from Prag, you would have very high shipping costs. But, well, you pay Amazon and uh, if you if you want to to help us um, and and you t- and the co- your company pays, uh, we would appreciate paying or buying it at uh, Pragmatic directly. Okay, then buy at Pragmatic. I also have a Pragmatic account. I buy my books also directly by Pragmatic. 
And the reason is because they give me Kindle and the EPUB uh, files where I can directly integrate to my smartphone, my tablet. And and uh, this is one of the reasons. So there's actually a nice company. Yeah, you can you can find me. There was, I think, the other question just on, I think, on Twitter. It's easiest uh, at uh, Simon Harra mm -hmm. or in German, Simon Harra. With so. double R, right? Triple R, actually. So Yeah, first two, two R's yeah. and then the last <laughs> one. Okay, cool. So Twitter and uh, Pragmatic Programmer. So thank you a lot. And uh, yeah, and enjoy your work and keep your code base lean. So remarkable yeah. work. You, you too. Uh, nice talking to you. Yeah. Thank you.